Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Can I get you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 10. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Um, we're starting a new series uh, in Galatians uh, this week, so it will be helpful to have that with you. Uh, some of the, ver the verses will come up on the screen as well, but actually, nice to see it in its context. So if you have it on your ad uh, device um, uh, or on your Bible, then that, that's great. Um, can I also remind you, I, I've taken off my mask, but I uh, could encourage everyone just to keep, keep your masks on uh, and covering the nose and the mouth uh, while we're in the church building. Let me lead us in prayer. Yeah. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word, uh, and we pray that you speak to us now as we look at this passage together. Uh, may you encourage us and help us and strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I read a story the other day uh, about a Western couple who had been living some time in East Asia. They went to a restaurant with their poodle, uh, and after ordering their food, they wanted their poodle to be fed as well. They didn't speak the local language, but they expressed this to the waiter using sign language. Uh, the dog needs some food. Uh, they were happy to see that the waiter seemed to understand. Uh, he picked up the dog, take him to the back, uh, presumably to feed him the scraps. And half an hour later, the waiter returned with a poodle nicely cooked on a platter. Sometimes, getting the message wrong can have terrible consequences. This morning, as we begin this series on Paul's letter to the Galatians, um, we will see the consequences of getting a very important message wrong. Paul had preached the gospel, that is, the good news about Jesus, uh, to these Galatians. They believed in Jesus, they were growing well in him, but then some people had come to them who actually got the message wrong. And they were trying to convince the Galatians that they were right. And so Paul writes this letter to them to urge them not to listen to these people. And to warn them of the consequences of doing so. To bring them back to the true gospel. The gospel of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Paul begins his letter by describing himself as an apostle. Now the word apostle means sent one or messenger who speaks on behalf of the person who sent him. And so when the messenger, when the apostle is delivering a message, the words of the apostle carry the delegated authority of the one who sent him. And Paul says in verse 1, he was not sent from men or even through men. That is, his authority is not derived from other people. He has not been appointed by anyone else. He's not an, an, just an apostle of the church, like sent out by the church as a missionary. No, 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 no. He's apostle of Jesus Christ. He's a delegate of Jesus himself. And when Paul was in the middle of persecuting the church, you remember, the reason Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And Jesus not only saved him, but he sent him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he's an apostle, verse 1 again, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now this is going to be very important for us next week. But for now, let's just know, Paul's an apostle with the same kind of apostolic authority as Peter and the other apostles in Jerusalem. Now, if that's how Paul describes himself, notice how he describes God. In the Old Testament, Yahweh, the God of Israel, was known as the God who rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. That was his identity, right? Which God do you worship? Oh, it's the God who rescued us from Egypt. Ah, that one, okay. But in our Old Testament reading, when the Israelites made for themselves a golden calf, they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Right? It was not only wrong because they were worshipping something their hands have made, but they even took God's identity and gave it to an idol. 
In the New Testament, God's identity is centered on Jesus Christ. Who is God? God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who raised him from the dead. That's who he is. So the identity of God is now inextricably linked with the resurrection of Jesus. You cannot separate them. Which God do you worship? The God who raised Jesus from the dead. So any religious group that doesn't believe that their God raised Jesus from the dead, well, doesn't worship the same God as us. Oh, we can love and respect people who belong to these groups, but we cannot say we have the same God, because the God whom we know and the God whom we worship is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who raised him from the dead. That's his identity. So Paul is writing here as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and of God the Father who raised him from the dead. And his writing, it says, together with his brothers who are with him. It doesn't mean like the letters written by Komitila, uh, but it means that he is with them, he's being encouraged by them, he's being supported by them as he writes. And even though he's an apostle, he's still based in this community of God's people. And this is probably the church at Antioch, the first and most established Gentile church. And so many of these people who are supporting him and encouraging him uh, in this letter are Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. And so are the people that he's writing to. The people he's writing to in verse 2 are the churches in Galatia. Right? Notice it's not just one church in Galatia, it's a network of churches. And again, there's different views about uh, where these churches might be, whether they're in the north Galatia, which were planted after the Council of Jerusalem, uh, or they're the churches in south Galatia, which were planted before that. Uh, I actually take the view that the churches in southern Galatia, which he and, his, and, uh, and Barnabas planted in their first missionary journey, are not long before this. But wherever they are, these churches are mostly Gentile. And they didn't come from a Jewish background. Uh, they came to faith in Christ as Paul preached the gospel to them. They didn't become Jews when they became Christians. They didn't start following the law of Moses. They didn't go put themselves under the, 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 the old covenant. They trusted in Jesus. They received baptism in his name. They received his spirit. They suffered for his sake. They sought to live under him. And that's important for what's going to come up later. A different people date the letter differently, uh, but trying to correlate the events that Paul describes here with the history that we're given in Acts may, makes me think that it's probably, though not certainly, about 48-49 AD, uh, not long before the Jerusalem Council in AD 50, which we can read about in Acts 15. That Jerusalem Council was the council that settled the matter as to whether the Jews, whether the Gentiles need to be circumcised and obey the, the law of Moses or not. And the answer, of course, was Nola. We are saved by faith in Christ, not by observing the law. Uh, and even after we are saved, it's, the, it's not the Old Testament law that we're under. Right? So the Jewish council made that very, very clear. The Jerusalem council made that very, very clear. Uh, but if my dating is right, then this letter is written before that. And so Paul has to argue his case and persuade the people that he's writing to not to listen to those who are telling them that they have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And he'll do that later on in the letter. But at the start of the letter, Paul begins with what looks like a normal Greek greeting of grace and peace. But embedded in that greeting, together with a wider introduction, is actually a summary of the gospel that he proclaims. The gospel through which God gives us true grace and true peace. Let's look at it together, verse 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now we talked earlier about the identity of God the Father, 
Now notice what the gospel tells us about the identity of Jesus. He is first of all the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The word Lord means master. Can also, it's also the word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for Yahweh, the God of Israel. And both are true of Jesus. He's the one who is meant to rule over us and the whole world. And together with the Father, he shares the identity of the God of Israel. Furthermore, he is Christ, that is the anointed one, the king. Uh, and when, So when, when Paul calls him the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not just being polite. He's saying that Jesus is the rightful ruler of the whole universe and indeed of your life and mine. Paul said uh, back in verse 1 that God raised Jesus from the dead. And friends, in doing so, his position as Lord and Christ were powerfully and openly and unmistakably declared. Jesus is Lord. That is the starting point of the gospel. But that's not the whole gospel. For this Lord, this Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, gave himself for our sins. Jesus voluntarily suffered and died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve on account of our sins. All of us have sinned. All of us have failed to treat God properly. All of us have done wrong. And sin is very serious. If we, if we disobey God, we don't treat Him properly. If we ignore what He says. That's, God, you know, God is so infinitely good, so infinitely holy, so infinitely great that to, that to treat Him wrongly, that is the worst thing we can do. It is infinitely bad. We could never finish paying the punishment for it. But Jesus voluntarily suffered and died on the cross to take the punishment for us. He died for us. He died instead of us so that we can be forgiven. He gave himself for our sins. And the sentence continues. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us, to save us from the present evil age. In the Old Testament, God delivered his people, he saved his people from slavery in Egypt. But Jesus delivers us from the present evil age. Because it's not just as individuals we're affected by sin. The whole world is in sin. The whole world is in rebellion against God. The whole world is suffering the curse of sin now. And the whole world is facing God's judgment in the future. We see a glimpse of the mess that the world is in when we see the effects of sin in lives it's messed up by immorality and injustice when we see a suffering cause, uh, the, the, the physical and mental uh, suffering in the, it, it caused by illness and just the, the wear and tear of bodies breaking down. And, and when we see the effects of war and we see the effects of environmental disaster, uh, and we see that the world, is the world is so affected by sin that we cannot rescue it from sin any more than we can rescue ourselves from sin. But one day, God will bring in a new creation. He will indeed make all things new. He will transform our broken world. Sin will be no more. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore. Those who are part of this new creation, we will live under God the way we're supposed to. Our relationship with Him and each other completely restored. No more rebellion, no more selfishness, no more guilt, no more shame. And we will enjoy this peace with God and with each other forever. And forever we will be so thankful for the grace of God that is His unmerited favor, His kindness to us that we don't deserve, which enables us to be part of this. Jesus died so we can be part of this new creation. 
He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age and to bring us to the new one. He died for us to bring us true grace and peace. Now sometimes people think that God the Father doesn't like us very much because Jesus had to die for us to kind of like twist his arms so he'll be favorable to us. But actually that's not true. Lah. It's true, Paul says in Galatians, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. But Jesus didn't just die for us because he loved us. He was also being obedient to the Father. He died for us, verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. You see, the Father loved us and wanted to save us from the start. It's the Father's will that Jesus should give himself for us. And he was obedient to it. And so as we give thanks to God for fathers today, let us be especially thankful that our God and Father so loved us that he planned for all eternity that the Son would give himself for us to deliver us from this present evil age. And for all eternity, let us give him the glory that he deserves for this amazing salvation plan transacted in love that enables us to be saved and to be part of that new creation. For to him, verse 5, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, so far so good. Lah. Paul has introduced the letter, he has summarized the gospel in his greetings of grace and peace. And in most of his letters, at this point, he'll thank God in some way for the churches that he's writing to. But not here. The mood of the letter quickly changes as Paul stops thinking about God and starts thinking about the Galatians. And his wonder of the magnificent plan of God expressed in the gospel turns into bewilderment about what's happening in the churches there. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Back at Mount Sinai, in our Old Testament reading, God said to Moses that by making that golden calf, the Israelites have quickly turned, away from the, from the, from, turned aside from the way that he commanded them. And now by turning away from the gospel so quickly, the Galatians are doing the same thing. Because the gospel Paul preached was the gospel of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He has delivered us through the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is God's grace treating us so much better than we deserve. And all we can do is receive that by faith, by trusting in Jesus, our Lord, whom he raised from the dead. But there are many people in the Galatian churches who were turning away from that gospel to another gospel. And by doing so, they didn't just exchange one message for another or one view of God's requirements for another, God had called them, verse 6 again, in the grace of Christ, or into the grace of Christ. The true gospel brings them into this place where they enjoy the grace, the unmerited favor of God. But by switching gospels, they've abandoned that grace. And not only that, they're actually turning away from the God who called them into it. Notice he says, you are so quickly deserting him who called you 
into the grace of Christ. See, getting the gospel right is so important. Getting the right gospel is so important because if you turn away from the gospel, then actually you are turning away from God himself. Now, when Paul talks about turning to a different gospel, he's not saying like, well, there's a few different gospels, you know, equally valid, you choose that one, that one. No, no, he clarifies in verse 7. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. In other words, there may be other gospels, but there's no other genuine gospel. The alternative so-called gospels that they have turned to is actually a distortion of the true gospel of Christ, the true message of Jesus. Believing the true gospel brings us salvation, but believing a false gospel doesn't save anyone. So Paul says in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That is, let him be anathema. Let him be eternally condemned. No matter who they are, no matter what positions they hold, what qualifications they have, what titles they have, if they preach a different gospel, they are leading you away from salvation. And those who lead people away from salvation are actually leading people to hell. And so Paul says they deserve to be eternally condemned themselves. He repeats again in verse 9, As we have said before, so now I say to you again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you have received, let him be accursed. That's not a very nice thing to say, is it? It not have been a very popular thing to say. But defending the gospel can sometimes be unpopular. Even as you hear me now repeating the words of Paul, some of you don't like it. Even though you know it's from the Bible, it's the word of God, you still don't like it. And you don't even know these false teachers, they're not your friends. How much more some of these Galatians they would have been upset with Paul for saying these kind of things about the people who were teaching them. But Paul doesn't care. He knows that defending the gospel can be unpopular. He asks in verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I, now, or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Some of his opponents might have said that Paul preached a gospel that is easy. Right? It doesn't come with some of all those onerous requirements that these people said that people had to follow. And they might have said, well, he's just doing that to please people. But Paul is not a people, not just a people pleaser. That's, that's clear from what he's written. He's a servant, a slave of Christ. Before he was converted, maybe he wanted to please his leaders in Judaism. But what he cares about now is not the approval of men, but the approval of God. And that is why, and precisely why, he condemns the false gospel of his opponents in such strong terms. And friends, sometimes defending the gospel will be unpopular. Because people think that every view is okay, as long as people are sincere. 
God accepts everyone in the end, regardless of creed. There will be times when we are pressured to say that what people believe doesn't matter. But it does. And If we love God, and if we love people, there are times when we have to speak the truth, clearly, even if it's offensive. Well, in the weeks to come, we will discover just what these false teachers are teaching. And we will look specifically at how Paul addresses these distortions of the gospel in Galatia. But for now, let's just think about the main lesson that we got in this passage. And it's this. Don't get the gospel wrong. It's very serious because a false gospel cannot save. If we turn from the true gospel to a false gospel, we are turning from salvation to condemnation. We are turning away from the true God who raised Jesus from the dead. Get the gospel right. Get the right gospel. And brothers and sisters, we've seen already today that the genuine gospel is centered on the genuine Jesus. The genuine Jesus is the risen Lord who died for our sins in our place. There are people who say they follow Jesus, but the Jesus they follow is just a just a religious teacher, just a guru, just an ethical teacher, just another incarnation. He's not Christ the Lord. Yeah, Jesus is not the real Jesus. And so their gospel is not the genuine gospel. There are some people who say they love and respect Jesus. They even wear t-shirts, I love Jesus. But they say he didn't really die on the cross. Well, their Jesus is not the real Jesus. And so their gospel is not the genuine gospel. Some people claim to be Christian but they, they, and they believe that Jesus died on the cross, but they don't believe that he died for our sins to, to rescue us from this present evil age. They, he just died to show us a good example that we should follow. Their Jesus is not the real Jesus. So their gospel is not the real gospel. The real Jesus of the real gospel really died. And he really died for your sins and mine. That is why he can really save. And he was really raised from the dead by God the Father. That is the real Jesus of the real gospel that saves. If you're someone here today or with us online who hasn't yet been saved by the genuine Jesus, then can I, can I urge you to come to him today? You have heard the true gospel that Jesus is Lord whom God raised from the dead who died for our sins to save us and we can be rescued from this present evil age by putting our faith in him. So you come to him and put your faith in him today. And brothers and sisters who believe, the real gospel is about what Jesus has done to rescue us. Not about what we can do to rescue ourselves. We can do nothing. We who trust in Jesus, we are, we are passive recipients of eternal grace and peace. Of course, in response to that, we actively seek to obey him and to love others. But, but there's nothing that we can actually do to earn or deserve our salvation. 
The genuine gospel just calls us to trust in Jesus. Never add to the gospel by adding requirements for salvation apart from faith in Christ. All kinds of things like you can add to distort the gospel, and we will see them in some of the weeks to come. But if you add to the gospel, you make it a different gospel, because the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of grace. God is the one who saves us, and God is the one who deserves the glory. So let us do whatever we can now, and in fact for all eternity, to bring Him glory. And let us never rob Him of the glory of our salvation by thinking that it's something that we can earn ourselves. Because friends, yes, the true gospel does bring us salvation. But that's only the intermediate purpose, not the ultimate purpose of the gospel. The ultimate purpose is even higher and even more important than our salvation. It is the glory of God. So let's make sure we get the gospel right, not only so that we are saved, not only so that we don't lead others to hell, but let us make sure we get the gospel right so that God is rightly glorified as His grace is appreciated and made known. And so to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, be all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen.